So uh, this topic of uh, the spiritual gifts uh, is a controversial one uh, to the Corinthians. And it still is, even today, um, after 2,000 years, after all the controversy uh, that the Corinthian church had to go through, still it is controversial uh, because of different understanding of the very nature of these spiritual gifts. Those in charismatic circle say one thing, and those in non-charismatic circle say another. And um, just for the record, I, um, I don't think I fall into either you know, circle. Uh, I am cautiously open uh, to charismatic uh, gifts. Like I'm talking about, when I say charismatic gifts, I'm talking about like speaking in tongues or prophecies and uh, gift of healing and all these things. But there are also other genuine Bible-believing believers who are full-on charismatic, and also there are others who are basically, they believe that these gifts have ceased. So I remember many, many, many years ago, I was um, serving at a church, and I was asked to speak in one of the early morning prayer meetings. Um, so I spoke, and the passage was on uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and there it talks, uh, it deals with uh, the prophecy and speaking in tongues even more in detail than here. And so I was just speaking on that. And so basically, I didn't really say much. Uh, but uh, basically, the way I, I presented it is that these gifts are still valid. They, they still are, are they, they can be exercised even to this day. And immediately after the service was over, one of the KM uh, pastors just came up to me and stopped me and said, you know those gifts have ceased, right? And so uh, we had to kind of just go back and forth because he firmly believed, and he's a genuine man of God. He really loves the Lord and uh, believes in the inerrancy of the scripture and all those things, but he truly believes that all, uh, not all gifts, but uh, gifts like speaking in tongues, prophecies, those things have ceased. They are not for today anymore. So we just went back and forth uh, for like over an hour, right? <laughs> you know, usually after early morning prayer meeting like that, I would like to go home and just take a nap for like an hour before I start the day. But I just couldn't do that because he would not <laughs> let me go. I said, no, but you know, so we just went back and forth. So, you know, it's, it's a very controversial uh, topic. You know, just as con conduct at the Lord's Supper that as we looked at last week was out of hand, so too was the way ministry was conducted in the church. The public, uh, the public assembly of Christians was in disarray in the Corinthian church. And the problems seemed to be about the priority of prophecy and exercising the gift of tongues in the services. The Corinthians must have asked Paul about the way that these gifts are to be exercised in services. That's why, you know, you know, verse 1, now concerning the spiritual gifts, you know, see, so Paul is specifically, you know, addressing this uh, topic. Um, you know, the, uh, the thing is, uh, the chapter 14, as I said before, deals more specifically with prophecies and tongues. So I'm not going to go into too much detail uh, about, uh, about uh, too much detail here. Basically, whoever has a, uh, the text, 
whoever has that passage, let him speak on that. I'm just hoping that I'm not the one who would speak on this uh, when we get to that point. But, you know, as we go through uh, chapters uh, 12 uh, through 14, but we do have to have one thing in mind. That is Paul's summary in chapter 14, verses 39 through 40. And if we have the slides, and this is the one that I, that I also brought up with that, the, the pastor who believed that the, those gifts have ceased. But, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 39 and 40, it says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So Paul tells the Corinthians, even with all the confusion and the abuse or misuse of the speaking in tongues and prophecies, he doesn't say, you know what, that's enough, right? There's just too many controversies. Uh, it's very controversial and it's confusing. So I want you all to, you know, you guys are immature. There's so much division in the church and it's causing more harm than good. So I want you to, I'm going to forbid everybody from exercising these gifts. That's not what Paul says after all the things that were going on in the Corinthian church. He says, but I do not want to forbid you from exercising these gifts. But, but he qualifies it by saying, Everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Right. So we have to have that in mind, that that's uh, after verse, uh, chapters 12, 13, and 14. That is the conclusion or the instruction or the summary that Paul comes, uh, comes down with. So we, we have to have that in mind. Um, and these gifts were to be conducted in such a way as to reflect the character of God. Right? A God of order, not disorder or confusion. So whenever we are to just exercise these gifts, we have to keep in mind there has to be order, especially in the public setting. You cannot just like bust out with prophecies or speaking in tongues just because you feel led or prompted by the Holy Spirit. Now, um, we have to also understand more about, uh, let's understand the background uh, of the Corinthian church at the, at the time. Why are they focusing more on the, it seems like, prophecies or the speaking in tongues? Well, the part of the problem, part of their problem is that they have not really made a radical break, uh, radical enough break from their pagan backgrounds. Because in their pagan rituals, before they met Christ, they used counterparts to, uh, to controversial gifts discussed here, especially tongues, and, uh, tongues and, and prophecies. They would speak seemingly inspired utterances, but it's intelligible, uh, unintelligible. You don't really just, they're in their ecstatic state. They go just, you know, as they were getting into their pagan rituals, they get really ecstatic and they just start just, you know, just speaking some things, but it doesn't really, it doesn't really mean much. So that's what was going on in pagan ritual. So maybe as they also are now converted and they know new Christ, and as they, uh, as the Holy Spirit came upon them, some of them may have, uh, some of them received the gift of tongues, speaking in tongues, but they just didn't have enough break from the pagan practice, and there was a lot of confusion. So in verse 2, it says, You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. 
right? Paul reminds them how when they were pagans, they were influenced and led astray to mute idols. You know, and Paul says mute idols. You know, it's the word, the word mute is used in the same way the Old Testament writers used, used it when pointing out to Israel the foolishness and the futility of bowing down to handmade idols. When you look at, uh, I don't think I have, do I have the passage? Probably not. Uh, in Habakkuk chapter 2, you know, God says to the Israel as they just handcrafted and just handcarved idols that they have set up for themselves, why would you bow down to these idols that you have created? Do they really speak to you? What profit is there for you when you just bow down and worship to this uh, images that you have created by your own imagination. How absurd that is. Right? They are mute idols. They do not speak. And that's what Paul is referring to. The people, when they were pagans, they bowed down. They were led astray to mute idols. But now they have the one true God. Right? And in those rituals, participants who had heard of maybe Christ's claims might have cursed him in their pagan rituals as they heard about Jesus being the Lord and all this, Jesus being God. But now they are led by the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, if you are a true believer, if you are truly regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then you cannot declare Jesus to be anathema. Right? Jesus, you cannot say that Jesus be accursed. Rather, he's the only one that you can confess from your heart that Jesus is Lord. You know, in verse 3, it says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. Uh, uh, and no one uh, can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And there when uh, it says Jesus is Lord, the Lord, it's really referring to Yahweh the name of God. Jesus is Yahweh. Right? And this was a fundamental early Christian confession of faith, that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is Lord. And it flies in the face of pagan affirmation and their beliefs of some other deity or even emperor, because at that time, under the Roman rule, a lot of people were forced to say, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is my master. Caesar is my God. But when Christians made a confession, Jesus is Lord, it flies in, that, uh, in, in these affirmations and then the confessions that they have made to emperors or other deities. And it also flies in the face of Jewish insistence that God alone deserved the title, God of the, the, the God, the Father, God who was revealed in the Old Testament, the scripture to them. He's the only one who merited the title, Yahweh. But Christians came along, Paul, and, and, the, the, and the, the Christians came along and said, Jesus is Yahweh. When the Jewish people said, no, it is God that we have in the Bible. To them, the Old Testament was their Bible, Scripture. And it says, God himself, he alone is Yahweh. He alone has the name. But Christians came along, came along and said, no, Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God himself. Jesus is Lord. 
So no one can say that Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, unless the Holy Spirit is in them to really just wake them up, to bring them to life, come to the, the truth, right? So now, you know, what does Paul say about gifts given by the Holy Spirit? What do we need to understand about these gifts? And the first thing that, um, that Paul says, uh, the first point, uh, one point that uh, Paul makes is unity in diversity. If you can just turn to the next uh, slide. First point that Paul brings out is unity in diversity. You know, Paul tells us that many gifts, that there are many different gifts, but they are from one source, God, God himself. You know, when we receive gifts from other people, uh, for certain occasions, maybe like Christmas, uh, birthdays, wedding, right? We, uh, we receive them from multiple sources, from different people, and especially like wedding, right? If you are getting married, you know, you, you may, you may want to kind of keep track of who has given you gifts because, you know, later you want to thank them, right? So thank you for coming here or thank you for giving gifts and all these things, because they're different, uh, different sources, different people. But when it comes to spiritual gifts, God is the only source. One and the same Spirit distributes a variety of gifts to His people. It's not just all the same thing that He uh, gives out to people. Variet, uh, garden variety of gifts to His people. So in verse 4, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And verse 6, And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So in verse 4, Paul says the same Spirit. In verse 5, says the same Lord. And in verse 6, the same God. From one God comes this variety of gifts, services, and activities. So these references, the, the, spirit, the same Spirit, the same Lord, the same God, right? these references tell us the importance of the doctrine of the Trinity. Right? I know a few weeks ago, Pastor Jay uh, expounded on this, the three persons in one Godhead. And so with our finite mind, we cannot fully understand how that can be. Right? Like it's a mystery to us that there are three distinct persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They are not the same. They are three distinct persons, and yet they are in one Godhead. Together, as one they are God in their essence. But we do not worship in three different gods. Right? We are not polytheistic. But we believe in a triune God because that's how God has revealed himself to us through the scripture. And it shows, uh, it shows uh, you know, Paul's conviction about unity within diversity. Because God is a triune God, His very nature reflects unity in diversity. And that means spiritual gifts also reflect unity and diversity because it really flows from who God is. Even though we may have many different gifts, many different manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but there is only one God. There is unity in diversity. 
So because they all come from uh, God alone, it is unwise to compare or even compete. In fact, it would be destructive to do that. It would only cause jealousy, uh, division, or even like inferiority uh, complex. I remember like when I was in high school years, um, I felt so inferior to those people who supposedly had more uh, like uh, spiritual gifts or more you know, gifts like um, speaking in tongues or prophesying or people who supposedly had gifts of healing. Because those are more sensational. It's more visible. They're like more like demonstrable. Whereas I felt like I didn't have any of these gifts. So I was like, I used to be so envious of those people because they felt more spiritual to me right. as a high school kid. I used to always compare myself with them. You know, because we are so used to comparison and competition living in this world, we bring that mindset even to church. We grew up being compared to, have we not? We've been, we've been growing up being compared to somebody that's always better than us. Our parents would be pretty quick to point out somebody who was just better than us, maybe smarter than us, more athletic than us, uh, you know, just more savvy, than, you know, more technologically advanced than us, and all these things. And we grew up also trying to be better than our peers so that we can, you know, go to a better school, we can get a better job, or so that we can get the promotion that we want. So we just, you know, we breathe in and breathe out competition and comparison with one another. So it is not hard to compare our spiritual gifts with other people, and then we may feel good or we may feel bad about ourselves, depending on you know, how you value or how you rank those spiritual gifts. But that is not to be. That is a very wrong thing to do. And that is what this, uh, the Corinthians seem to be doing, likely emphasizing the gift of tongues and prophecy. So Paul says, though you may have different gifts, they all come from the same God, the unity in diversity. We have to understand that it is from the same God, and they have diverse gifts. But ultimately, it is the same God who gives them all to people. Notice that Paul puts emphasis on the giver, not the gifts themselves. Even as he's discussing and focusing on the gifts. You know, one of the errors that Corinthians uh, were making was that they were only focusing on the gifts and they lost sight of the giver, right? And we will repeat the same error if we are only focusing on the gifts themselves. I was like, oh, I have this gift, but that person has another gift that, that I want that one. Right? Why is my gift like not that good? Not, it's not really significant. Right? That cannot be. It will be, will be an error if we start comparing or competing or being uh, you know, competitive or causing division in the church. It is like this. You get a gift from somebody, right? And you get a nice, really just like fancy looking like gift and then a card. And you are so dying to know what's in the, the, uh, inside the, the gift thread. So you just toss the card, right? And then you just rip up the, the gift thread to see what's inside. 
boy, that's really rude and that's not the right thing to do, right? You have to first like, look at the message that the giver wants to convey to you. Like, you know, and parents, I think, I can't believe I'm giving an advice to parents. You know, when you train your kids, make sure that they don't just, like, go for the gifts and, you know, just forget about the, the card that com comes with it, right? You have to make sure the kids will first read, right, so that they can understand the intention and the message of the giver, right? From what generous heart that person is giving, right? So you got to read, right? You got to understand the message before you get to the gift, What's important is the giver, right? And that's what we would be doing if we are only focusing on, oh, what about this gift? I want that gift. Or focusing on the gifts. When what we really need to understand is the intention and the heart of the giver, right? So the first thing that Paul uh, brings out, uh, brings attention to um, is, is the, um, the, the unity in diversity and God because of who God is as a triune God. Even though there is one God, but there are diverse gifts. That's one thing that we have to uh, understand. Now, you know, what's the purpose of these different spiritual gifts? So the second point is, and Paul brings out, it's the purpose of these gifts. In verse 7, it says this, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul uses another term, manifestation of the Spirit, to describe the gifts and says all the, Christ, uh, the Corinthian Christians have at least one such gift. Right? Yes, every Christian, if you are truly born again, be regenerated by the Holy Spirit, and if you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you, then every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And it is an evidence of the Spirit's working in his or her life. And it is not that the gifts, it is not for himself or for herself, but for the common good. It's for the good of the church. It is for the good of others. In, in secular uh, Corinthian uh, in secular Corinthian uh, society, the elite paraded their gifts and abilities, believing that it was these demonstrations that gave them the status and significance. Because of like, they just kind of just show off their abilities and their gifts, that gave them significance. They gave them, put them, uh, put them above other people, that I am neck above the pack kind of thing. Is that how we feel? If we have more visible or more readily recognizable gifts, do we feel more important? Or do we feel better about ourselves? Oh, you know, I am indispensable. I'm, I'm irre irreplaceable because of the gifts that I have, right? You have to be very careful because this false notion still exists in the church today. Because once again, we compare and we want to just be more readily recognizable by other people that we do these things. But newsflash, it is not about you. It is about others, right? All the gifts are intended to build up the church. You know, First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 10 through 11 says this, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others, as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, 
they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So even Peter says, the gifts that we have received from the Lord, it is not for us to boast about or to just cause division as like, because mine is better than yours or I'm more important than you. My gifts, because of the, 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 the gift that I possess, I am more significant. I'm irreplaceable in the church. It is not for your self-promotion. Right? It is to serve other people. They are not to be used for selfish advantage or self-promotion. These days, it's less and less because people don't really turn to TV. But you know, back in the days, we've had a good, good number of TV evangelists that would just come, just show up on the screen, and then they would have these, you know, amazing and miraculous like gifts, like healing, or you know, all like miracle like working, you know, just healing and all these things. And then they would just like you know, everybody would just come, whoa, you know, like when I was in high school and college, I used to be so impressed and I used to be so envious because I didn't have those gifts and I wish I had those so that I would be just like them. But you know, thinking back, how foolish. Because if I had those, and I'm so thankful that God didn't give me those gifts, because if I had those, I would be so prideful. I would be so like, you know, I would so think that I'm so better than other people. I would be thinking that I am so, more, so much more spiritual than other people who do not have these gifts. Right. And they were asking for your money and support. That's not the way it's supposed to be. It is to truly serve behind the scenes. So that is the purpose of the spiritual gifts. And the last point is the manifestations, right? manifestations of the Spirit. Um, so in verses 8, uh, eight through 10, uh, it, uh, he gives us uh, the list of the spiritual gifts. In verse 8, for, no one, uh, uh, for two, one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another, the utterance of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To, an, uh, to another, faith, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing, by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish, distinguish between the spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the, uh, the interpretation of tongues. And the, this gift, uh, the, the list, is not meant to be complete, right? Uh, because, you know, actually he lists even more in verse 28. Um, chapter 20, uh, 12, verse 28, it says this, And God has, give, uh, God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and uh, various kinds of tongues. So, you know, the ones that are listed here in these verses are not meant to be just complete list of all the spiritual gifts. Maybe these were the gifts that were more evident in the church of Corinth. And we don't need to conclude from this that all the listed gifts are manifested in every single church. Just because we have this list doesn't mean that every church should have every single one of them that are listed here. 
Because in another list in Romans chapter 12, for example, includes only two other gifts mentioned here. And it's Paul who wrote that. That he included in there prophesying and, and faith. But he didn't include any other spiritual gifts that he has listed there. And he omits those that might be considered supernatural, like you know, healing or tongues. So in terms of determining the character of some of the gifts listed here, um, it is hard to be conclusive uh, because they are not, uh, there are not descriptions, there are not any descriptions anywhere in the New Testament. Though Paul lists all these gifts, but he doesn't really give any description of or the nature of these gifts. So it's kind of hard for it to be hard for us to be, be like conclusive. Um, like I said, uh, in different, uh, uh, and so you know, there's, there's much, uh, that, that's why there's debate about the nature of some of these gifts. In different circles, they mean different things. Especially, you know, that various kinds of tongues can be uh, controversial. And, and we'll get to that um, a little bit here and maybe more so in chapter 14. Here, it's the utterance of wisdom. Probably it may have been an ability to resolve issues um, and difficult spiritual problems. And somebody who may have this uh, gift of wisdom will be able to see through the spiritual problem that's present. And he's able to just give wise advice, biblical advice to people. And the utterance of knowledge. Uh, it probably meant a special revelation of some sort, but we just cannot be certain the, the gift of knowledge. Uh, probably that's what it may have been, but we, we just do not, we cannot be certain about things. Charismatics believe, that, uh, believe this to be the case, that there was some special revelation that no one else would know, but that God reveals it to some people. Right? Um, And the thing is, you know, I've seen some people like who would uh, speak like the word of knowledge to another person who have no relation, has no, they, they don't know each other, and yet he would say something, and I would hear him, and he's like so spot on that. I don't know how that the, the person who just spoke the, the knowledge or the word of God to them, I don't know how he because it was very specific, uh, very personal to that person, and so it was like spot on. I'm like, how in the world did he know that? It just couldn't be only because, because they had no relation, they didn't know each other at all, first time meeting, um, and there was no you know, Facebook stalking or anything, and yet God, that person would speak, and it was, it was something that that person really needed to hear. So there's some really spot on things, but there are also other times I've seen, and they were way off. They said it is from the word from the Lord, and they would speak, gift of knowledge, uh, uh, just as the word of knowledge, and yet it is off. So I've seen both side, both like um, cases in the past. So it's really hard for us to know for sure exactly what it means, the gift of knowledge. And here in verse 9, it says gift of faith. And we are not talking about saving faith, right? But faith to meet a specific need within the body of Christ. Um, uh, you know, so that's probably what it means when uh, Paul says, gift of faith, because he's not definitely not talking about a faith 
to save, our, uh, save us, right? but a faith to believe in certain situations, certain things, to meet the needs uh, in, within the body of Christ. And the gift of healing here suggests that there are, or it says gifts of healing, right? It says gifts of healing, so it suggests that there are various ways that God would heal. God heals in different ways. It's not only one way. And even Jesus employed different ways to heal people. Sometimes he would just simply speak the word. Sometimes he would, you know, just uh, make mud out of it and then just place it uh, on the person who was, like, blind. And so even Jesus himself employed different ways to heal people. And so, you know, Paul says gifts of faith. I, I mean, gifts of healing. So there, are, there isn't just only one way that God would just use this gift many different ways that people can receive healing. And here, and also it goes on to say, the working of miracles, the, um, and it literally means deeds of power. In Scripture, a miracle is an action that cannot be explained by natural means. And that's what a miracle is. And it is an act of God intended as evidence of His power and purpose. So to some people, that God would just use them to achieve miracles. So likely that's what it, uh, what it meant. Um, you know, that's what uh, Paul uh, was meaning here. And the gift of prophecy, once again, uh, we'll get to that in chapter 14 more in detail, but uh, probably prophecy meant, a, you know, prophecy is a communication of the mind of God imparted to a believer by the Holy Spirit, right? It's really communicating the mind of God to the believer. So it may be a, a prediction or an indication of the will of God in a given situation. That's how we would understand. Likely that's what it meant, the gift of prophecy. Because there are some uh, prophetic words and the prophecies that predict the future. There are also other types of uh, prophecies where it's uh, God is speaking specifically into that, the will of God, what God really has in mind, right? So that's why at times um, some of the, the teachers can be prophets too, prophetic, because when you really just speak, into, speak the truth into the lives of the people, the will of God is revealed. The truth of God is revealed in, in that way that it is prophetic, right? So probably that's what it meant by the gift of prophecy, and if you have these gifts, the thing is likely you'd be pretty high profile, right? Especially in the charismatic circles, right? If you have the, uh, the gift of miracle working, uh, healing, prophecies, right? And then you will be under intense scrutiny as well. And here also Paul goes on to talk about the gift of uh, the, the ability to distinguish between the spirits. Um, and that, you know, that can be, that may be uh, understood in light of chapter 14, uh, 14, verse 29, because it says, verse 29 says, but if there is no one to interpret, let each one, uh, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God, right? And so uh, there has to be that distinguishing. Uh, so there may be some people who has the ability to distinguish between the spirits, whether it is from the, the right spirit or it's not from the, uh, from the Spirit of God. Um, and now the, the gift of tongues. Oh, boy. Um, so it is, once again, very uh, controversial. 
some understand uh, this to be a glossolalia, right? Uh, this incomprehensible, like a speech. You know, when you are in this, some kind of ecstatic state, you are like so like pumped up and you are like so ecstatic, right? And pagan worship, it, was, it often happened. And so, and so some people in some circles, the gift hung here means, uh, you know, glossolalia. Um, you know, possibly referring to the tongues of angels in chapter 13, verse 1. Because in uh, chapter 13, verse 1, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love. So he goes, but he does say that if I speak in tongues of men or, and, and angels. So maybe possibly it could be, uh, the, uh, the speaking in tongues, it could be maybe the language, or the, the, uh, be the tongues of angels. It is possible. Once again, we cannot be conclusive here. Um, whereas, you know, in, especially in non-charismatic circle, you know, they talk about, well, at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit gave the early Christians the ability to speak in foreign and human language, as we see in Acts chapter 2. So there it says that speaking in tongues, it meant it was only the people that could understand it was the actual foreign human language. But, you know, Paul says maybe it could be a tongue of, of an angel. And again, verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 2, Paul says, for one, for one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. So once again, it just goes back and forth. So to, to those people who say it is only the foreign, like human language, um, I mean, there are some other uh, instances here where it may not be um, when it comes to speaking in tongues. So to me, to me, it is not one or the other. Uh, it can be both. Once again, I cannot be sure. I don't know if any one of us can be so sure, 100% sure. Right. And I, I don't even know where, you know, what, uh, where uh, Pastor Jay stands on this either. Um, but it's just, per it's just my personal opinion. Um, so now, uh, the, the, but the, the, the important thing, important thing is just because we cannot prophesy, uh, we cannot precisely determine, determine the function of some of these gifts does not mean that we cannot understand the thrust of this passage. You know, Paul and this passage is not trying to give detailed instruction about each gift, but rather trying to emphasize the variety of, God, variety of God's gifts to his church. That is the main thrust of what he's trying to say here. He's listing these gifts, but he doesn't really take time to define what each gift really is about or what it is. But he's trying to say that in one God, same God, but God gives different gifts to different people to meet the needs, particular needs of the church. So that is the main point. In verse 11, all these, we uh, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Apportions to each one. And this phrase puts all this into proper perspective. Whether an individual possesses a particular gift, it's not for us to decide. I remember um, in college, uh, college years, 
you know, because, you know, people, some of the people who were, you know, speaking in tongues, you know, they would say, oh, you know, do you know how you can receive gift of tongue? I was like, because I was interested, because it's like, oh, that's kind of cool, like hearing these people speaking in tongues and all these things um, it, 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 when they were praying all those things. And, you know, some, 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 it's, just, it's, just, it's just really funny, right? But uh, it's just, hey, keep just, all, all you have to do is just keep saying hallelujah, right? Just keep hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. You keep saying it, this literally, this is what that person said. If you keep saying that, after a while, you're going to, tongue's going to get tight. And then you're just going to get tongue tight. And then that's whatever the words that come out, then that's your tongue. And I was like, really? And I was like, I tried it. It really didn't really work that well, right? Because I'm just focusing on like saying the word right, right? <laughs> to them, it was like a learned behavior. If you, or just like by mistake, or just like, if your tongue is tied, then that means you, you got your like gift of tongue, right? That's, that's unbiblical, right? Because here it says, God would decide. He would apportion to each one according to his sovereign choice. Right? Some people say, oh, if you just say something like, should have bought a Honda, right? If you say fast, you know, should have bought a Honda, should have bought a Honda, right? It kind of sounds intel- uh, unintelligible. It's just like no one really knows what it's saying, right? So that's, that's, that can be a tongue. No, right? It's not individual merit but it is the Spirit who sovereignly provides for the people of God. We are missing the point if you're trying to say, God, I want, I want to speak in tongues, or something more like uh, readily uh, of it, uh, just visible or recognizable, right? You are missing the point, and you will be in error. And this truth that God sovereignly provides for the people of God, this truth may explain why no New Testament passage gives a complete catalog of gifts, or even a precise definition of them, since they may vary significantly according to God's plans in changing situations. Maybe the point is not really like, what are they and how are we going to just get these? No, because every church and every culture at different times have different needs. And God would just, you know, by his sovereign plan, he would apportion certain spiritual gifts to certain people in certain churches. So not every church would have every spiritual gift that's listed here, not necessarily. It may be the case, but not necessarily. Right. What's important is that God knows what we truly need in our own congregation, in each church, and God will sovereignly provide the gifts that are really needed for that church to edify the church. A church may appropriately pray for God to grant gifts to meet its needs. Yes, we can pray for certain, uh, certain uh, gifts that God, that God will raise up people. But such prayers must be offered in submission to his sovereign will and his perfect wisdom. We don't get to decide what gifts we're going to get or when we're going to get them. We will do well to remember that it is God's gift to the church for his glory. It is God's gift to the church for our needs, to meet the needs that we have as people of God. As such, 
they cannot be used to mark out anyone, anyone, uh, anyone for special status within the church. One cannot say, hey, my gift is better than yours. It's more important than yours. Therefore, I am more important or I am more spiritual than you. That would be so wrong. When we do receive these gifts by his gracious impartation, we must use them to edify the body of Christ as the Spirit of God has intended. And may that be our attitude. That it's not about just what gift. You know, I want this, I want that gift. No. God will sovereignly choose. And for us to be humble before him because he knows what's really needed in each church and he will apportion to each one. Important thing is for us to really understand it's for the common good to edify the church of Christ. So may that be our attitude and as we you know, continue with our lives, consider what gifts that God has given you and how you can use that to serve and to meet the needs of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you at this time and as we turn to you, Lord, um, we, uh, help us to understand that you are a triune God. Though there are many different gifts in the body of Christ, there is only one God. And it is for the purpose of building up the church. It is not for self-promotion or for comparison or competition. Help us to understand that you call us to turn to you in, in humility. That it is really about, even though with all these different manifestations of the spirit, spiritual gifts, that it is really about honor, honoring you and glorifying you. And so, Lord, even though we may have different understandings, different positions, and certain gifts, allow us to really focus on the fact that God wants his church to be edified. That if there are, if we are causing any division, may we just examine our hearts, that we will truly just seek unity and peace within the church and to edify the church. That is the main purpose, Lord. So may we desire spiritual gifts for your kingdom's sake and allow us to really just um, live each day to honor you in all that we do using our gifts. For those of us who are still uh, unsure of what gifts that they may have, Lord, make it clear to them so that they can use them, not disregard them or disobey you by not giving to the church what you have given to them. And Lord, we also pray for those people who are sick among us, that you would um, heal them, for those of us who are really hurting inside, that you will bring comfort. Those of us who are grieving, that you will give them encouragement in all that we do. And we thank you. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.